0: We're running a pre-sale for $100 off. Head over to listenmoneymatters.com slash REI to learn more. That's listenmoneymatters.com slash REI for $100 off rental properties
1: for passive investors. Hey, what is going on everybody and welcome to Listen Money Matters. People who say they don't care about money eventually end up having to care about it more than anything else. <laughs> Some dude on a personal finance podcast apparently said that. <laughs> <laughs> apparently it was one. It was you or me, Andrew. I'm not mm. sure. One I, of us. I, I, I'm not sure, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Thomas and I'm here as always with Andrew. Mm. And I already said your name, so I guess that's redundant. But what are you drinking, dude?
0: I am drinking ashes to mashes, nuts to butts. <laughs> <laughs> and if and <laughs> which could take on any like plethora of meanings. And it has a picture of an owl, a three-eyed owl on the front, wearing a medallion, ATM N T B. <laughs>
1: Oh, sorry. I'm 14 years old. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nuts to butts. Oh Wait, there's walnuts in it. The roasted walnuts, Thomas. <laughs> what are the butts, though? <laughs> <laughs> That's it's a just... bunch of walnuts and cigarette butts <laughs> in a beer bottle. Pretty much. Uh, the bottle alone is. It looks awesome,
1: and it tastes really good. An owl wearing a medallion sounds pretty good to me. Uh, I just have water, just boring old water. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm not coming into this podcast hard. Coming in just soft. Water, yeah. I'm sorry about that. Sorry for the lack of intensity and or ABV. Those are <laughs> pretty much equated, right? B- basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, today's catchphrase comes from one of us apparently. Oh, yeah. But we also need more catchphrases and dumb things to start our podcasts out with. So if you have something in mind that you'd like to hear us say, even if it's embarrassing, in which case I can make Andrew say it, uh, we are over Damn on right. Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Money Matters Man. So you should go follow us and let us know your catchphrase ideas. You can also email them to us, uh, money matters at gmail.com. That's also a great place to ask questions because this week is a five questions episode. So... We have pulled a bunch of questions from our email, from the ether, from smoke signals, possibly from our community, which is, it's part of Simple Wealth now, right? Nope, it is
0: listenmymatters.com slash community.
1: Okay, still, still slash community. Mm. See, this is what happens when I don't talk to you for a few weeks and you go code a <laughs> bunch of things and then I'm just like, is everything under the new thing? I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't. Every time something has to move or be joined, it's like an existential crisis, that i don't know you know what
1: mm. i think this is the first solo episode that you and i have done in quite a while yes we've had guests on almost every other episode so i haven't really given you a chance to like straight up explain what simple wealth is exactly what's included there versus what's still on lmm like so mm. why don't we just like hammer that out and tell people exactly what you've been cooking up while not sleeping for the past few weeks <laughs>
0: So Simple Wealth, uh, we will find by the end of this year, will be a multifaceted platform. There are other non-rental property related pieces that are going to come into it related to your net worth and debt. and uh, We have a lot of cool stuff cooking. Um, And I will say that as components get added, uh, the price will change. The price has changed. So if you are into the rental property thing, um, you should definitely check it out. There's a 14-day free trial. Um, and essentially, we are a rental property uh, analysis and research tool. So we pull in like sales data, schools data. Uh, we help you uh, crunch the numbers on if a rental property will cash flow, what uh, the, the profit will look like years in the future, run doomsday scenarios, and essentially get rid of spreadsheets.
1: Mm-hmm. So basically all those things we talked about in our real estate investing series, mm. which I think was from last November, I want to S- say. September. Or September. Oh wow. So we're coming up on a year since that. Wow. But we've like codified that into one just seamless tool. So you don't have to go do math on what what are those those terms again? Like the long cash on cash and cash on rate, cash. On ter- return, yeah. Return. All those important things that are very complicated at first, but then they kind of make sense and they're very important to understand. I I It just tells you what that is.
0: It does it all for you. It makes it color-coded. And what happened is if you were one of the people who emailed in and said, I want this, then you can probably attest to the fact that it now exists in Simple Wealth. Um, and yep. it's essentially what I think it should be and what all the other people in the audience who have many of them, many more rental properties than me think it should be. Mm. Um, and it will be much more, but I don't want to give away all our secrets.
1: Yeah. And I like the way you're going about it because I think with a lot of a lot of people they get ideas for projects and they're like, Oh, it has to be perfect up front. And I struggle with this mm. like massively. It's it's why I haven't built a course yet on College Info Geek because I always have like this feeling like, oh, it has to be perfect. And when it comes to simple wealth, like I've sent you a zillion ideas for things we should build. And you're like, okay, cool. But they're first, on the roadmap. <laughs> we're just gonna build this small thing that's really useful and we're gonna give it to people and we're gonna validate and make sure they like it. And then from there we'll iterate. Hmm. So that is what we're doing. But for now, simplewealth.co is our platform for making your life easier as a real estate investor, helping you make better decisions quicker, and hence making more money. Damn right. Cool. So we've got that all laid down there. And if you happen to be curious, we'll also have links to that series that we did on real estate investing in the show notes. So check that out if you want to get educated on that particular bit of <laughs> investing. But today we've got five questions from our email, from our community that we're going to get through. Starting with a question from Tina. Uh hey guys, it's your longtime Canadian fan, Tina. I know most of your stuff is based out of the States. Last time I emailed you about an alternative to betterment for Canadians. But what are your thoughts on fixed versus mortgage rates? Fixed versus mortgage rates? I think she means variable. Oh, fixed versus variable mortgage rates in Canada. I only read what's on the screen, man. I'm like Ron. uh, No, I almost said Ron Swanson, not Ron Swanson. I'm like Ron Ron Burgundy. He'll read anything on the teleprompter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I wish I knew that. I'll have to
1: add some stuff in.
0: Just add some stuff
1: one. in there. I'll, I'll probably <laughs> catch it, but then I'll purposely say it because it'll be funny. <laughs> <laughs> My boyfriend and I have just secured a purchase on our first home. The bank offered us a 1.97 variable rate for a five-year term and our mortgage would be for $400,000. I keep reading that the prime rates are expected to go up and so it might be a better idea to go with a fixed rate while the rates are still relatively low, but, but hasn't this been the word on the street for like ever? I mean, for like next... For the next five years at least, do you think we should keep with the variable or should we go ahead with a fixed rate now? It kind of sucks that the fixed mortgage rates have been are now already gone up, but if we're looking at the big picture, would it still be more favorable to go with that fixed rate? So basically, it's like, do we try to lock in a possibly higher rate than what we have right now, but something that will stay lower than what the variable rates might go up to? Mm. So I'm guessing since you put this on the list here, do you know something about Canadian mortgage rates <laughs> and the government there? Well, Like is Justin Trudeau just going to raise their mortgage rates up? I, I do know I that know. Justin Trudeau
0: is a very handsome man Um up I also north. know this. But uh, in terms of Canadian interest rates, I have no idea. And so I think uh, in a general sense of interest rates, I think like a few concepts – might hold true, or at least this is the way that I think about it um, with my wicked, twisted mind. Uh, One, when it comes to rental properties, I want a fixed rate because I am calculating my return, and this needs to be the return for however many years, so if the deal makes sense today, it better make sense in 10 years. Um, I'm running a business, right? So I go fixed with all of my rental properties. However, Laura and I, Tend to move, uh, and I think it would be a long time if we stayed in a single place for five years. So we have, ha- we we have basically been getting variable rate mortgages or ARMs, adjustable rate mortgages, what they're called in the U.S. So mm-hmm. we have um, a seven one ARM, which means uh, for the first seven years the rate doesn't change; it stays at the initial rate. And then the one means that every year after that, it will change up or down. Depends on what's happening.
1: So, Is there like a cap for how big the jump can be?
0: Yes, there, there are yearly caps. So it can't... I, I don't remember exactly. Maybe it's like it can't go up more than 3% a year or 2% or whatever it is. Um, and I had a long time ago done a bunch of math. I got historical mortgage rates. And essentially, if... um. Your if in the beginning, uh, the the interest rate. I'm actually not going to say that because I'm not even sure of the numbers. <laughs> just just I'll, if I if I remember my analysis later, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. But okay. uh, I think that uh, if you are going to move within the seven years, it makes sense to lock in a lower rate.
1: If you're gonna oh, if you're gonna move because you're mm. selling, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So. Okay. Qualifier number one is how long are you going to stay in the house? The second question I have for you, Andrew, and mm. maybe this is different for Canada, but I'm just curious in general. Can you always like can you switch from variable to fixed in the middle of a mortgage term?
0: So that is the other thing, and and of all the conversations that I had with Laura before we bought this place, that uh, in seven years. If the rate has gone up dramatically, we can just always refinance. We then essentially switch yeah. to a fixed rate, and what happens is there is a cost associated with originating the loan, and so right. there is math in place that so you got to
1: figure out how much that actually adds to the effective overall rate.
0: If if it's like cost effective to refinance, essentially, yeah, because you like take that additional cost, distribute it over the years, blah blah blah, right. and um. So so, and there are tons of uh, refinance calculators out there, but that is also an option. And then there's like this third option where the rate has gone up slightly or gone down slightly, and it hasn't meaningfully. It doesn't make sense to refinance, or it's even cheaper, uh, you know. And it's since you've you've been sa- yet yeah, Like if you look at how much you save in those first seven years by maybe saving 05 percent on a very large number uh you could actually ride many years after that initial low rate at a higher cost and it would still be cheaper overall
1: mm. interesting so there's math to be done pretty much
0: yeah this <laughs> oh, god I, I i was not fully prepared i i actually did the math and there's a spread where okay. uh, it it's guaranteed to make sense um but but i'll include that in the show notes so maybe. we can link to
1: that though hmm Maybe. Okay. So, I mean, like, if, if you're like one of the few people listening to this who that's important to right now, then go look at the math. I'll tell you Otherwise, what, I've given you some qualifying questions to ask yourself and to go do some research on.
0: I have a spreadsheet where I calculate this out with historical data. Um, I'll literally just put it in the show notes and I'll let you drive your own conclusion.
1: So, I, the last question I have for you here is do rising variable mortgage rates push up the fixed rates
0: Mm. for new
1: loans because I'm guessing like it's simple supply and demand. If variable rates are going up, you're going to have a lot of people who are like, man, maybe I should refinance to a fixed and supply and demand. The fixed rates are probably going to go up if there are more in demand. Right.
0: So it's like. The prime rate, LIBOR rate, there are these like general benchmarks, like the the federal funds rate. There's like these Or does the government like set it and lock it in for a while? Well, so there's the cost of banks to borrow from the federal government and the banks charge a spread on top of that for the mortgage. And so as the Fed the federal government or the Canadian government raises the rates, the the mortgage will go up so that the banks can still make a spread and earn a profit.
1: Okay. So, but like the basic concept here is if you've got a variable rate, that's, you know, 1.9% today, uh, and next year it's going to go up to 4%, let's say. And I don't know if that's like a ridiculous jump or not. Um, you know, if, if they're at 1.9% today and fixed, uh, fixed mortgages are at three, you know, if if the variable goes up to four, the fix is probably not going to stay at three. That doesn't make any sense because nobody's going to take a variable rate starting at four and then get it, they can get a fixed at three. So, you know, keep that in mind as well.
0: I will say that I looked back at, because I got this historical mortgage rate chart and I looked at the interest rates from roughly when I was born. And I think mm-hmm. that they were like somewhere between 12 and 9%, which is insane. Um, and I cannot predict the future. And I decidedly know almost nothing about anything. But I, in my crazy wacky mind, I think that we will never see things go that high ever again. Um, I don't really? think. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the economy is doing amazing right now, and they could barely lift the rates without everyone like having a shit fit. Um, hmm. I don't know. So and I am not. Words. I will tell you that. Uh, do your own damn research. But I personally <laughs> am not concerned about interest rates.
1: Okay. So your your kind of final answer is like variable if you're not going to stay super long. Yeah. Otherwise fixed if you are, it's kind of like the baseline. I think that's good. Yeah. Okay. Reasonable. Cool. Question number two comes from cat and starts with you guys rock my socks off every day. I don't know if that's what cat sounds like. Probably <laughs> not. <laughs> anyway, I'm 26 with no credit card debt. No credit. No credit at all. Okay. Mm. And no school debt. So that sounds pretty good, but maybe also not good because no credit. Anyway, I live with my boyfriend and together we make a decent amount of money for Bodunk, Mississippi, but we are spending almost as much as we make each month. My boyfriend has okay credit, but he isn't building it in any way. We've got payments we make on a computer and a car, but they are just paid out of his bank account. Now, I know I could switch those to a credit card if he got one, but I'm not sure what cards to go for. I'm really liking USAA's cards. So do you guys have any experience with USAA? What other cards are great for beginners? He wants to buy a house and I've talked him into waiting for about a year so we can both build credit and save up for a down payment. So what strategies would you guys recommend? So that's two questions, I think, actually. I mean, yeah. You let two slip in here. Damn it. For the price of one. Six All right, questions. So that doesn't question even make sense. Question number one, USAA, what is that?
0: Um, It's a bank and I would say like, are they good? Yeah, I guess. I mean, like at the end of the day, there's really like two variables, right? Uh, there's the annual fee that hopefully they don't charge you anything. And mm-hmm. then there's the APR that you will never use because you will always pay your balance in full. Um, what do they call
1: that? Like a. Oh, there's like a number. There's the word for it. Like a, de- a deadbeat. Yeah. yeah the so, credit industry calls people like us deadbeats because they never make any money off of us. They're getting cash but,
0: back all I guess they their make their the back.
1: annual fees, but then again, I never pick a card where the annual fee would outweigh my rewards. So, so.
0: I, I think like that's even in the more advanced thing where you probably get some like ridiculous whatever. But I actually personally, uh, I, I think I can qualify for most if any card, but I will never pay an annual fee because uh, fuck those guys. They, they don't deserve never? an annual fee. Never. I would never pay.
1: There Doesn't do the Chase Ink bold that we use to have a $99 annual fee? Yeah, yeah, we we're, Pretty we canceled sure. that. We we when got you, like oh, you got, canceled the card.
0: Well, we we got points. We did it for the sign up points, uh, and we got like a flight or or a flight and a half from it. Um,
1: oh, so but, you're actually like more advanced than I am. I just I got my points for the flight, but I I just kept the card, dude. So. There's like
0: a billion credit cards out there, and the money is exactly the same. Why <laughs> would you pay for it? And. So uh, USSA, U.S.A.A. I'm sure it's great, uh, but generally, I've heard quite a lot of good stuff about Capital One, um, and they have a lot of stuff for people with low credit. So there are yeah, they do two cards. Um, there is the Capital One Platinum Credit Card, zero annual fee. Uh, it is for people with limited, fair, and average credit. They're not going to okay. give you anything except for a zero fee credit card. Um, there is, if your credit is even worse, if it's beyond limited and it's bad, uh, you can get a Capital One secured MasterCard, also zero annual fee. And the difference is you essentially deposit money in there and then spend that money in the card, but it helps you build credit.
1: So uh, it's like collateral pretty much.
0: Yeah. And almost. so if you're looking to get started, I think one of these two. Uh, is, is the right option because that there is no annual fee. Fuck fees.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I think I use the capital one platinum for my personal card, which that has no annual fee, which is Mm. nice. Um, but maybe I should look into my business card if you, if you're really thinking fuck annual fees. See, the question for me is not necessarily fuck annual fees like, and you know, full stop, but What do I get for that annual fee? Mm. Because what do you get for your annual fee? Let's just let's just say that I actually don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I knew when I signed up. (laughs) I knew when I signed up. And now like, you know, Matt uses the Chase ink bolt or whatever it is. Like a lot of business owners I use or I know have it. So I'm just like, okay, it's probably a good one. Mm. But I mean the question you have to ask yourself is am I gonna get more than $99? Of value out of this card that I couldn't get with a card that has no annual fee, and if you do, then you have effectively canceled out that annual fee. So I don't want to say that, like, so I'll tell never you, I'll tell an you what the fee. benefit is, uh, because
0: because I read it, because uh, I'm we have the same card, the Business Inc. Chase, and I think so it's it no yeah. no foreign transaction fees. Um, I don't think so they I guess really they travel a lot. Yeah, but the thing is, Thomas. So there's the Amazon Chase card. No foreign transaction fees. Five points for and whatever it winds up being a, a very decent percent for everything you spend on Amazon, and it's just like a sick credit card. They literally okay. Uh, Jeff Bezos is brilliant because like he's just going to give you everything, so that it makes sense to buy with Amazon, use his card, blah blah blah. It's called the Amazon Business Credit Card. Uh, it's called Am- It's the Amazon Chase card. It's it's Amazon like Chase made card. out of
1: metal. It's like really. It's a really nice card. Okay. Um, the Amazon Rewards Card. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can see it here. And so this has no fees. You're saying it has no fees,
0: and we were. I, I was like the the lifelong disciple of 1.5% cash back, the or like slash highest cash back I could find. Mm-hmm. Um But since we buy so much on Amazon, uh this is just it, it's like far and beyond paid us more than 1.5% cash back. Like. We get our toilet paper, toothpaste, deodorant. She gets her mascara, like uh, cat food, litter, like.
1: Yeah. um, Well, I do spend a lot on Amazon. So you get 3% back on that. So so are you using that as your personal card? Yeah, we use that for, I want to say like 90 Okay, so if it's a business Because you expense, have a separate between business and personal. You're not mixing those together, are you? No, no, no. So oh, okay.
0: I essentially, um, things that I trust, I just put on the debit card for business right now. And things that I don't trust, I put on the credit card with the thought that if they try and fuck me, I just like cancel the card or like
1: complain to the credit card company. Why not put everything on the credit card?
0: I, I have to get another card. I mean, I, I just haven't yet.
1: I guess that's the thing Like with the Chase thing is I, I put almost every business expense except for paying people onto the credit card so i mean like i'm getting miles every month i don't know i I have to sit down and look at the math on it because i mean i do buy a good amount of stuff from amazon but if it's like if i'm buying a business only card how much do i buy from amazon that's business only because the you know the the toilet paper or whatever stuff i buy that doesn't matter when I, I when I was looking for card business anyway.
0: cards, uh, we didn't qualify for anything with uh, cash back or whatever because I guess like there had never been a credit line with Listen Money Matters, so we just went with Ink.
1: Blah blah blah. I guess the other thing is you. Well, no, because you travel a lot, mm. so like the no foreign transaction fees thing for you. Yeah, like, you dude, miles is
0: bullshit because first of all, you know is like, it? how all these cards. Uh, okay. There's going to be no travel blog that will tell you that miles are bullshit because how do they make all their money? Making you sign for fucking credit cards. That's true. Um, so the the whole like – so do, do you really think that the credit card company is being super nice and generous when they give you 50,000 miles? No, they are devaluing the actual worth of these miles and there's like umpteenth million restrictions on how you can use it. We've tried to use points, and often the days you want to fly—Friday, Saturday, Sunday—they don't allow you to do it. Certain places. That's not you the can, case
1: with the Chase card. So the Chase card is literally just cash for like basically miles that you can use I, however you want. No I signed
0: up for Chase Inc. because I wanted to get the Southwest Companion Pass, okay. and literally January first of 2017, they removed the ability to transfer points. And so there's this whole concept really? in the travel blog and we're like totally going off the beaten path here. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just get the points, transfer it to whatever program and get your thing. But they're all putting firewalls up because it turns out it's not good for their business. I, I just, mm. you know what, like give me something of clear value that I can spend. Uh, that, that's what I want.
1: I, I don't want to play these games. I don't have like... It says right here on the page... Transfer your points at full one to one value to frequent travel programs, including Southwest Airline Rapid Rewards. Oh my God, not not true! Absolutely not true, dude. Says it right here, on the site. So like, some. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying something fishy's going on. If you couldn't do it, Companion Pass. All right, I'm gonna. I'll send you
0: the URL right here. I'll send it to you.
1: Companion Pass, Um,
0: dude. uh, No, no. no. Like I'm telling you, I, I like. Okay. Let, let, I want to get back on track, but we <laughs> we had enough points, and that was the goal. We were gonna do it in November, but it
1: lasts for two years. We couldn't do it. Really? Yeah. So oh, there must be some weird small text, and I, I, you know, the weird thing. I it's, at it's chase now. points, chase unlimited points, and it, that yeah. was the transfer. That's weird because it says right here that uh, Southwest Rapid Rewards is one of the transfer things you can pick right here. So I don't know, man. Um. You know, one thing that's kind of been annoying me a little bit, though, mm. since moving to Denver, I have flown three times and none of those three times have I even had the option of using Southwest.
0: Mm.
1: I thought I'd be able to fly Southwest all the time when I came here and still haven't been able to. Now, granted, I've been flying to Orange County, Palm Springs and Missoula. So not really the hubs of the world, <laughs> but still it's just like, damn, I got to go with Alaska or United again. Anyway, okay, so go with one of those secured, yeah, secured credit cards, mm-hmm. and then how do you, how, you know, how do you build credit to save and save it for a down payment? Okay, so Super. why don't you run real quick through how you helped Laura rebuild her credit because that's helpful.
0: Yeah, I think like uh, this. This is the one, like the the single strategy. It is the the biggest indicator of your credit, and likely where you've messed it up is that you've missed a payment. The indicator is the percentage of on time payments. If you make one payment a month, you're going to get that back really slowly. But if you have five credit cards and you put Hulu on one, Netflix on the other, I don't know, coffee on the third one and blah, 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 and you make five on-time payments a month, you will make ground so much faster and you'll rebuild your credit quicker.
1: Um, More on-time payments. Yeah. There's all
0: other things you could do. That is the single most impactful thing you can do.
1: Okay. And then the one last thing I'll add here is when it comes to saving for a down payment, if you're planning on buying a house in a year, like they are, then in most cases we would say probably don't put your down payment savings into an investment account. We've had Mm. questions from people who are like, should I keep my down payment savings in Betterment? And you know, we say like on average, you get 7% per year in the market. And right now, actually things are doing really well. I think my Betterment account's like 14% right now. So it's, it's doing very well but that that's just not enough of a period of time for you to really realize anything significant and you know for that almost no benefit because of the short period of time you're exposing yourself to risk in the market so like
0: literally as
1: you compress the timeline the risk like exponentially goes up exactly yeah so on average long term 7% short term who knows could be mm. negative 30% yeah. so keep your mortgage savings or your down payment savings in your savings account. Just keep socking it away every month, make it a priority and then buy your house, you know, and don't pay PMI. (laughs) Don't do that. I I saw, I feel, I I think I saw a video on YouTube the other day where they were like talking about FHA loans. Like, Oh, you can get an FHA FHA loan to get a house before you have 20% Mm. but you have to pay PMI. And like, I appreciate that they mentioned you'd have to pay PMI, but I was like, I really wish they would have been like, and don't fucking pay PMI. Yeah, or like that you have to
0: refinance to get rid of PMI, or just pay, like, yeah.
1: Like don't, just don't pay PMI. Be patient, so you're not throwing money down the toilet. I'm I'm getting rowdy with these nuts (laughs) to butts over here. (laughs) I'm like about to just throw F-bombs everywhere. All right, question number three. This is from Phil. I'm a little concerned about buying my first rental property out of my area. I live in the Southwest Washington state uh, because properties are pretty expensive where I live. I know, but properties are pretty expensive where I live. So I guess he's looking outside where he lives. Mm. I guess I'm concerned about tenants calling for bullshit reasons like the change a light bulb or something and having to pay out the ass for someone to go take care of it or having to pay the property manager to get it rent ready again after someone moves out. Should I be worried about buying out of my area or am I overthinking it? So, I mean, you have a ton of experience here. I guess the first thing that comes to mind for me is, like, you, you're you going to pay for shit like that in your area, too, aren't you? Yeah, and the only thing is, like, you're,
0: uh, I don't know, like, spending quality time with your family, and they're like, change the light bulb. And if you don't hire someone, guess who's going to do it? You. Um, yeah. I, I think they're all valid concerns, but... Uh, it really comes down to finding a good man property manager because exactly if they call for light bulbs, a property manager will be the one to tell them to go F off uh, yeah. or they will go and change it or whatever. And you probably, I don't know, maybe that costs you like $10, whatever the cost of a light bulb is. Cause you'll pay yeah. a fee already for uh, like somewhere between like three and 10% for the property manager's time. Yeah. Three to 10% of the rent for the property manager's time. But I think, uh, the, the best strategy and I, I didn't want to like drop the Roofstock name everywhere because there are certainly other options. But one yeah. thing that they have done well is find and vet excellent property managers. So if you go with them, great. You could like just choose one of their companies or you can invest in a similar area that Roofstock's in just and use the name of one of the companies that they've approved and just do it on your own. So, yeah, exactly. For example, in Georgia, where we invest and we're around Atlanta, there's this company, Excalibur Homes. They're amazing. They're like the best. They're like everything that I would want in a management company, they are. So mm-hmm. my next property, if it's not the Roofstock
1: but it's in Georgia, I will still go with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, so and the good, other thing I'll mention here, and mm-hmm. you know this, this matter is – whether or not the, the home is in your area, um, these break-fix costs, we call them major-minor capex. I uh, even if it's a light bulb, oh, it's like your minor you. capex. These are built into your cost estimation when you're evaluating a property, you know, and like- to plug simple wealth again we have it literally in there there's an ongoing cost section it says major minor capex i'm looking at it right now actually so i put mm. a i put a property i just put my parents old house in here <laughs> just as a, just as something to put in there cuz i don't i don't do my own uh real estate investing but i'm looking here and like we've already got a 10% ballpark figure for break fix and you've also got a 5% ballpark figure for vacancy rate so you're basically taking things into account you're doing the work up front to mitigate these costs that are likely to happen, at least on average, on a big timescale. And you're asking yourself, okay, given that I'm going to give up 10% for break fix, I'm going to give up 5% for vacancy rate, and I'm going to give up 10% on average for property management, do I still make money? That's a question you got to ask yourself. Not, oh, do I make money be- just from the raw rent? It's, do I make money after all these costs have been taken care of? So, it's all about intelligently trying to estimate the net profit you're gonna make after these average costs.
0: Uh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think when you look at these top of the line numbers, you know, like you go to Roostock or you run the numbers yourself or whatever and it says like this is your return and then every time you don't hit that return, like you're just gonna get angry. Like a lightning bolt hit a tree in the front of the property of one of the properties I own and a branch fell down and it cost $200 to remove it and I could have got angry, like, ah, God, or, or whatever, like for lightning. But actually, you need to plan for this. And yeah. we, based on our properties and the value, uh, we've estimated that $450 every month will go to some sort of situation, vacancy, mm-hmm. break, fix, whatever. So every month that we don't pay that is a win. We've kept more money. Yeah, um, exactly. And so I think if you approach it that way, uh, and you have, just have to understand that things are going to happen.
1: Yeah. Set expectations that are realistic and that are based on data. That's, that's it. And, you know, don't be afraid of, of rent, of, uh, investing in properties outside of your area. I mean, there's definitely something to be said for your knowledge of your area, especially if you're somebody who's really gung ho about getting out there, understanding the lay of the land, meeting people. Like if you know a lot about your neighborhood or where you live, you know, and, that, and that's what you're comfortable with. And again, you've done the research financially then sure, if that gives you more peace of mind, there's no reason not to try to stick within your area. But but on the opposite side of the coin, there's no reason to let fear be what stops you from branching out and looking for opportunities that may be greater or more uh, more lucrative somewhere other than where you live, especially if you live in an expensive area. And, like, that's why Andrew's not buying properties in Hoboken. I, I couldn't afford it. <laughs> there's not money to be made there, at least where, at the point at where Andrew is in his investment journey. But there is money to be made in random neighborhood X 20 minutes outside of Atlanta.
0: And I, I think it's worth saying, like, in a general sense, you're going to have all of these reservations for the property, the area, investing outside of your comfort zone, blah, blah, blah. I think you should write them down and then try and find – uh, ways to accommodate that through your analysis, you know, something like Simple Wealth will bake that in, or mm-hmm. reasons uh, that it's overblown, you know, like so. Get yeah. call for a light bulb. Well, your property manager will call for the light bulb. You won't ever hear about it, you know, and you'll enable them to spend X dollars a month without bothering you.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah, yeah. So there we go. All right, question number four. This comes from Mike. Hey guys, can you devote a show? teaching amateur investors how to thoroughly and confidently analyze individual stocks. You could identify and explain all the publicly available metrics that should be considered before an investor decides to purchase a stock. Uh, I've currently got about 80% of my retirement savings in a Schwab Target 2055 fund, and the rest is spread across a couple more mutual funds. Now, the Target date fund has done really well, but I'm interested in taking out some flyers on individual stocks in the future. So... Well, this isn't a whole episode, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, though. I will say, we have an episode where we interviewed the founder of Simply Wall Street.
0: Mm, I had that page
1: opened. There you go. Simply Wall Street is a great tool for analyzing and um, you know basically just evaluating individual stocks based on a lot of different factors. that A lot of people don't often take into account, and I think the problem that a lot of people get into with individual stocks is. They'll pay too much inf- or they'll pay too much attention to the ups price. and downs right now or the mm. price or the the market cap or all the stuff that, you know, it matters a little bit, but a lot of people don't look at what are the fundamentals of the company or, you know, is this company um, strategically positioned to where the economy is going in the future or are they in a dying industry or, you know, and this is my favorite way to play with individual stocks, like how can you use human psychology and group psychology in your favor. Mm. The like the only significant individual stock decision that I have made so far was realizing that the whole kerfuffle over United dragging that guy off of a plane <laughs> like it definitely tanked their stock price temporarily but I was like that's not going to last. That's my prediction. Mm. So I took a um pretty much trivial amount of money. Like if I would have lost it it would have been a speeding ticket. And I invested that in United. And I've had like a fifteen percent return. I think it's fifteen percent today, it has been as high as thirty percent. Wow. So it was basically just proof of concept. But that mm. that was my chosen method for dabbling in individual stock investing. And you have to choose what your method is gonna be, what kind of research it's gonna take, time investment it's gonna take, etc., that kind of stuff.
0: Use your your critical thought muscle and buy the fear, essentially.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And also we were talking about earlier, like have realistic expectations. Mm. Um, The thing about a mutual fund is your risk is spread across so many different pools and you have a long term mindset. So you can kind of be confident that it's going to have a good return over time. Once you get into individual stock investing, like you're no longer dumping your money into thousands of tiny little pools. It's maybe like three or four or ten. So you have to set expectations that you're making these decisions. So you're obviously going to have more of like a hand on it and you're going to be paying more attention to it. So have expectations that sometimes your decisions are going to suck. My one other individual stock that I own is it was a pharmaceutical biotech penny stock. And then they did like a reverse split recently where they did like a 10 for one trade. So I had like 40 shares and I had like 400 shares and now I have four 40, or something like that. Um, and over the past few weeks, like they have just been tanking. Mm. Like Every day I get a notification from Robinhood on my phone, like, this company's down 15% again, ha <laughs> ha. Wow. And I'm like, ah, oh, that sucks. Um, but I don't care, because like, I went into that purchase, Like a, a friend of mine was really gung ho about it, and I'm like, okay, let's just test what, like I'm just, I'm dabbling my, I'm just dipping my toes in the water essentially, with different strategies, I'm like, all right, let's do the strategy of, like, ask a friend who's really passionate about this stock and basically, like, treat him like an advisor almost. Mm. And then over here, I'm doing the experiment of, like, let's see if we can leverage human psychology in certain ways. But, and this is something I want to make very, very clear, these are investments that do not represent a huge portion of my portfolio. I think so it's a So I'm thing. comfortable with the amount of risk I'm taking here because I could have bought, like, you know, a, a few trips to the bar and – it would he have been wanted, the same amount of money.
0: He wanted a full episode, and there's a reason why it's not a full episode. I Look, I bought Apple uh, before, like at the original iPod stage, a few thousand yeah. dollars, and I got extremely lucky. And then I have since bought many other stocks like Lehman Brothers and Lending Club that I've been extremely unlucky with. <laughs> and I think yep. that um, it is just generally not a good use of your time. But if you're going to do it, I would love you to actually have like information at your fingertips. So we did a simple Wall Street. We even interviewed the founder. A simply Wall Street simple episode. Wall Street, yeah. We interviewed the founder. Check it out. We also did one a million years ago. Uh, it was on Google Finance and how to use that. Check that out. So if you're going to do it, you know, do your own damn research. Be smart about it. But uh don't don't make it a big part of
1: your portfolio, like Thomas said. Go subscribe to Wall Street bets on Reddit and invest in meme stocks. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, I agree with Andrew. Like in my opinion, for the vast majority of people, it's not, it's not the method we recommend. Mm. It just isn't like 75% of, of active money managers whose job it is, is to pick stocks don't beat the average. They don't beat the index. Yeah, that should say something. And they have- If you're going to be the person who beats it, you need to be smarter than the average bear and have a lot of time to sit around and actually do a lot of analysis or understand human psychology. You have some edge. And if you have that, then like- and if you know what know the what tell du- you if you know what the Kruger Dunning effect is, and if you don't look it up, I mean the Dunning Kruger effect. The Dunning
0: Kruger effect. Ah, you know, I really think Kruder is better than Dunning. I'm just saying. <laughs> I
1: think Kruger is cooler. Why can't I put his name
0: first? But if you know what that is, then then you know what I'm gonna say. And if you don't look it up, because if you think you're smarter than the average bear, bear, then chances are you're way dumber than the average bear,
1: and you really, really shouldn't <laughs> do it. The other thing I want to mention here is uh, you ever heard of the hot hand fallacy?
0: Mm.
1: We're like, so the hot hand fallacy is like a, if a basketball player has made like, you know, five free throws in a row, we kind of have like this assumption like, all right, that guy's got a, got a hot hand. I'm going to put money on the fact he's going to make the next free throw, mm. you know, and stock pickers are very susceptible to this they're like wow i'm on a roll i've been picking great stocks and they start to believe that there's like some inherent quality they have that makes them a great stock picker yeah and they don't realize that it could have just been like five times where some other factor that was completely invisible to them worked in their favor so they go and make a big bet the sixth time and it doesn't work out so you got to stay humble and realize even if you've had success a few times it isn't necessarily because you've got a hot hand there might have been some factor in the market that isn't always going to necessarily apply. So tread carefully into these waters, there be dragons, etc. And last question comes from Tim here. The idea of early retirement, or at least financial independence, sounds kind of badass. To get there, I want to start investing the right way as soon as possible. Now, I'm thinking betterment or cheap Vanguard funds until eventually we can get into the high-end Vanguard accounts. Uh, what would you suggest we start investing in besides our company four hundred one k plans? I've got Fidelity, which is in, which is okay in terms of fees, but I want to try and do better. Uh sounds like you answered your own question, dude. <laughs> Betterment and cheap Vanguard funds. Now, um, mm. I will also mention that Wealthfront is a good another good option. So True. you can research both of them. First um, ten
0: thousand invested for free if you go through us. Yes. Do we have a Wealthfront link as well? Listenmatters.com slash wealthfront. Thank you, Thomas. Okay.
1: Yeah, and I think so we have interviewed uh the CEO of Wealthfront, right? Yes. We have interviewed the CEO of Betterment. We've interviewed mm-hmm. all those people. So we understand that there are other options out there as well. Um there was Wealth Simple from Canada, and I think they are in the US now too. Mm-hmm. Their management fees are higher though, so you have to do bit. your research there. With Vanguard, uh, I am in the total stock index fund. And so, I don't think there's a necess- I don't think there's a huge minimum for being in that. Now no. to be in like to be in the Admiral Shares one, which mm-hmm. gets you the lowest possible management fee, which is 0.05%, percent. That is a ten thousand dollar minimum. But yeah. if you don't have ten thousand bucks, you can be in the ETF, which is the same fund, just a bit higher of a management fee, and but still astronomically lower than most things out there.
0: If you go to listenmoneymatters.com/best-vanguard-funds. Or just go to our site search and search Vanguard. I I put the total stock market fund, links to Vanguard, Morningstar, uh, Google Finance. And there's like eight other funds on there that are awesome. And you can literally diversify across them. Their fees are super Mm -hmm. low. Um, So if you're willing to DIY, uh, I think that is a great place for you to look.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess the other thing to mention is we've talked about this before, but possibly Tim has not listened to the episodes where we've said this with your company 401k, I'm a fan of investing up to the match limit because that's a return that you're not gonna get elsewhere mm. but after that, um, a lot of companies are gonna restrict your choices in terms of the the funds that you're able to invest in and hence the fees that you're gonna have to pay so, a lot of people just kind of blindly will invest a lot more into their 401K than they need to be investing when they could be a little more strategic, hit that match limit and then take everything else and invest somewhere else. And I mean, you, you could even have an IRA separate from your 401K if you were trying to do some, some tax arbitrage or something. I, I just the want The more to, choice is the better, I think.
0: I just want to add, so, and I feel like it's like beat a dead horse and it needs to be done. Beat it. Because with the 401k, often a lot of choices have high fees. Yes. If you have a fund with a fee of 1%, which is a very low number because it goes up to 100%, right? It's like whatever. So if you have a fee of 1% over 30 years, it'll eat 28% of your gains because of compounding over time.
1: It's um, a lot of lost gains, bro. Yeah, it's seriously. You're going to have to drink a lot of protein shakes to get that back.
0: I, I, I think like you shouldn't get anything that's over 0.3%. Uh, these Vanguard funds, like Thomas said, are 0.05% if you get to the admiral tier. But if you're unsure, you think you're getting screwed, whatever, Personal Capital has a 401k analysis tool where yeah. you hook in your 401k account, it goes boop, beep, beep, boop, pulls in all of the data and tells you exactly where you're getting screwed. I won't tell you what to do Otherwise, I'll just be like, this is a terrible decision. Um, and then at least you could take
1: action. I'm going to call Personal Capital up today and I'm going to tell them when people run the 401k fee analyzer, I want you guys to play the sound bite of Andrew going boop, beep, beep, boop. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and if, if you really love us and you thought that was super helpful, listen to my matters.com/slash personal capital. Boom.
1: Boom. Hashtag all the product placement in this episode. (laughs) Didn't even plan it that way. (laughs) No, but we, we, we believe in these services, why we work with them. So, um, but you know, whatever you do, understand the fees you're paying. Mm. And then, you know, just to, to summarize the answer for Tim, I like that total stock market index fund. Um, it, I, I'm always hesitant to like say, oh, it's doing so well right now because obviously the past performance is an indicator of future performance and mm. cyclical markets and all that stuff. But that fund is like the cornerstone so well right, right now <laughs> and, and, and it is doing well right now. But I mean, it's see, in my view, like if, if a fund is doing really well right now, it's like that's a double edged sword yeah. because that means it's also more expensive to buy into. I'd rather buy into a fund that's doing shitty right now, Mm. but that I have a expectation of it doing well. But that is, that's not, that's like. That actually says something else. That's antithetical to the dollar cost averaging mindset where it's just like, don't fucking worry about market fluctuations. Just average, put money into the market every single month don't worry about that shit and just let it grow over time. But,
0: Thomas, you mentioned dollar-cost averaging in so many things. What are you talking about? Check the show notes in there. We're putting the link. <laughs> Boom. That's you true. have hours have like of research. Yeah. Research
1: or episodes we've done. It is, like, the most so,
0: important concept. It was, like, episode 10 is. or something.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Don't try to time the market. Hmm. So we've answered five questions. If you guys have additional questions for us, definitely hit us up on email. We are listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. We love answering your guys' questions. Seriously, they, they give us ideas for new topics for guests to reach out to, like your feedback and the things you want to learn are what helped this show evolve and become better and become a, a more a larger and more comprehensive financial resource. So, let us know if something doesn't make sense to you, if something sounds dumb, if we said something that you disagree with, email us and we'll use that to make the show better and, and more specifically to make more five questions episodes. Um, right. Also, we mentioned a few different resources on this episode, Betterment, Wealthfront, which are competitors, so definitely do your research on those. We mentioned personal capital, Vanguard funds. We have linked to most of these, if not all, over at our toolbox. So you can find that over at listenmoneymatterscom slash toolbox. And that is a listing of all of our favorite financial tools and resources. Not just investment funds, also budgeting tools, um books we recommend for increasing our financial knowledge and all sorts of other stuff. So definitely check that out. And um for the people who are interested in real estate investing like uh who is that Phil, right? Mm. simplewealth.co is the tool that Andrew built. So if you are concerned about those costs that you're going to have to eat before you make that monthly return, The tool that we have there will let you put in an address and very easily see the average costs for break, fix, for vacancy, for all that stuff. Put in the average rent that you're going to get in that market and the purchase price of the house. You can easily pull that data from many different sources. And we are trying to pull in as much of it automatically as we can for you to make it easy. And then you'll see, here's what I'm going to make per month, an actual profit, (laughs) which is probably a pretty good thing to know before you plug down a hunk of cash on a down payment so check that out if you're interested in moving up to that part of the investment game and i think that is all we've got for this episode so if you guys like this episode a rating and review on itunes always helps helps us go up the charts so more people see us and we get feedback from you guys it's always appreciated and uh that's about it so we'll see you guys next week later dude later man